0: Welcome to the Digital Marketing Masters podcast with your host, Matt Rouse.
1: Heck, to Digital Marketing Masters. And I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And my guest today is Peter Senna. How you doing, Pete?
0: I'm doing good. You said Peter. I was like, oh, oh am I in, in trouble? You. I'm like, that's right. Peter
1: Senna, you get back here right now. <laughs> like, Stop messing around with that AI. Amen. So, you have a podcast called Forward Obsessed, as well as I believe a newsletter. Um, I do, I do. I really wanted to chat a bit about the idea of being future obsessed because I can't believe I think it's Henry that we met through. Yeah, and yeah, and and he sent me some information. He said, "Oh, you'll probably like talking to Pete." And and I was reading through some of it, and I was like, "I am completely future obsessed," right. I think I actually have a futurism book on the shelf like behind me right now. So I wanted to ask you, just for our listeners, what do you mean when you say future obsessed?
0: Yeah. So forward obsessed as this is a moniker that for me has been a big part of my journey as an entrepreneur, as a designer, as an engineer. And what I what I mean when I say forward obsessed is I believe that growth happens at the edge of our comfort zone. And that if we just settle into the status quo and just keep doing things a certain way, we don't get to evolve. We don't get to grow. So when I say forward obsessed, it's always looking at where are we at right now and where are we headed into the future and forging our way into the unknown. And when I say unknown, I mean the things that we don't know, right? The things we haven't experienced yet. And I really believe that experimentation and being a lifelong learner is really the way to unlock the most happy and fulfilled life. And that's ultimately what I mean by forward-obsessed. And I can go much deeper down that rabbit hole if you want, Matt, but that's sort of the most succinct version of what I would say what, what it means to be forward-obsessed. Right. Absolutely. Talking about future
1: or forward, I could hypothetically go back in the editing software and change it from future-obsessed to forward-obsessed. And no one would know the difference listening. But now that I've said that, I'm not going to change it, just so that we can talk about it. No, but I actually. One th- of the things.
0: It's it's funny you say that because I think and what I think Matt's referring to for the audience is using tools like Descript, which obviously owns Squadcast now, are these different tools to do o- overdubbing and essentially using AI to take Matt's voice and and sort of change words and that sort of thing. And I think what's interesting and we're going to talk about AI, I'm sure, quite a bit today because you and I are big nerds for the future. But I think what's really interesting is there's something magical about the imperfection of the human condition. And I think one of my recent examples is I'm a big fan of Mike Dean. He's a he's a music producer. He's worked with you know all the majors, you know, from Kanye West to The Weekend and everywhere in between. And he's just very talented musically, very interesting sonically. And he has this song off his new album, and it's sort of this like robot speak that's going through and talking about a time in the future when AI takes over and has this art contest, but really people still prefer the humanity of it. And I think what's interesting is if you think about Gen Z, Gen Z doesn't trust that overproduced authentic content like me, a millennial might, and they actually prefer the, the selfie style, raw, authentic type of content. So I think it's the mistakes. It's tripping up and saying feature obsessed instead of forward obsessed or future obsessed that I think people appreciate because then they say, you know what, this Mac guy, this peak guy, they're not perfect. Right? They're not these sort of auto-tuned, you know, fake, perfect things. We've got blemishes. you know, We've got some wrinkles. We've got some stuff. We make some mistakes. And I think in the future, this made-by-humans movement is going to start to come up over the next few decades. And I think that people are going to really opt for things that are made with people's hands and minds and not that are generated by some AI model soup.
1: Absolutely. You know, there's a couple points there that I think are really important. Number one is in actually in episode 245 with Greg Moyer on our show, we were talking about the invention of the drum machine that wasn't on perfect time. And the reason for it was that people could hear it and they could tell it was a drum machine until they started to put imperfections in the timing, right? Which is brilliant. And I think those imperfections are going to come out in the future of your digital avatars and voice systems. Right. They'll have voices that crack sometimes or that, you know, aren't exactly right, or they'll put lip smack movements in them and, and sounds and stuff. But I think the other important thing that you hit on, and uh, this is a prediction also, and obviously you and I have predicted the same thing, but we've never talked about this in the past. The idea is that the pendulum kind of swings both ways, so the more the, the the more fake content there is and the easier it is to make, the more people are going to want something that is identifiably real and human.
0: Yeah, 100% agree.
1: But now that does not mean that there's not going to be a crap ton of stuff made that's fake.
0: Yeah. And it gets into the bigger question is like, what does it mean to be fake? You know, it's that's a whole other rabbit hole. Right.
1: When I say fake, I just mean not made by a human. Yeah. Right. And, you know, there's not terminology made for this stuff yet, right? Yeah. It's um, definitely
0: a new frontier for sure.
1: It is. And, like, I was looking at the, I was going to say the alpha version, but the beta version just came out a few days ago of Be Human. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, the character avatar generator where you basically record a video of yourself and then you can feed it text and feed it your voice and then it will simulate your voice and your video at the same time. And you can do it with an API so it can be done on the fly. It can generate, you know, you can generate the use case would be to generate, if you have a thousand people on your mailing list, you send a thousand different videos and each one is customized for each customer out of your CRM system, something like that. I think there's endless amount of use cases for that. And that technology is only going to get better. And the beta version, like I was saying that I just saw, if you watch it for a while, you could tell, but if, if it's just a clip, like it's 15, 20 seconds kind of thing and you're not expecting it, it's not noticeable, right? Yeah. Like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between this and that.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, what you're referring to really is this idea is have have we crossed the uncanny Valley, right? right? Which is this concept of like, can we, can humans detect the difference between humans and something that's cr- entirely created by AI a good example is if you've, while I only believe that there are two Matrix movies, even though technically there's four, I'll let the audience figure out what I mean by that later. But the, the new Matrix movie, Matrix 4, obviously Keanu Reeves has aged quite a bit, right? He can't kind of do the same kinds of things he can do when he was, you know, in his 20s. And in when they use the Unreal Engine sort of MetaHuman, Unreal Engine, you know, digital production, it looks just like Keanu and you know he's doing all the kinds of things that you'd expect from him in that first matrix movie with all the glorious special effects that you'd expect but i see these digital productions now from you know different new star wars disney stuff that's coming out or whatever where what's possible now using these different kind of gaming engines is really where they came from is really prolific you know we're talking about recording people in front of you know virtual screens and led screens and and then saving time in post production right not not having to go and key out and green screen out all this extra stuff so i think you know what's interesting is the two industries that always seem to move the fastest is the porn industry and the movie entertainment industry and i think what we can very quickly see is the technologies from those places start to permeate into what you're talking about in terms of email crm marketing or you know the things that like marketers like us on a daily basis start to incorporate but that's why i like to be really obsessed with what's the edge look like and then how do we walk it back to to today and figure out a way to experiment. Because in some cases it might not be good for a brand like Adidas or Nike to, to start doing these kind of automated personalized CRM things, even though strategically personalization is amazing. It might not be good for their brand at the, at this current time, but if they're doing their new, you know, web three thing that's blockchain based and NFT driven, it might be, make sense to do it with that, you know, because there's something. So I think it's, it's all about context. And I think context is ultimately what drives creativity and, Creativity drives the outcomes that you and I kind of live and get paid to do. That's right. I used to work
1: at Nike and I can tell you, I I would say 99% likely is what they've done is found a group of people that are interested in having a digital avatar of someone sent to them with personalized content intentionally so that they can test it. Right. Absolutely. But they're finding a willing market to test it on. And that is actually a good kind of a good rule for people when you're gonna do that is, you know, find a group of people who are your test market, but are also willing to be your test market, right? When you're trying it out, you never know if you could get a backlash from people. I see this a lot in the real estate world. Uh, we work with some brokerages and stuff like that. People who sell things to real estate agents as well. And, a lot of times what'll happen is that like something new will come out and somebody's like i'm gonna jump on this before every other realtor does it and they're like i'm gonna send this automated email of uh, video to my whole crm right everybody i've ever talked to in my life is gonna get a video from me and they'll get this backlash why are you sending me like deep fake video or somebody spammed me with this and it looks like you but i can tell it's not you that kind of stuff so You always want to have some kind of test audience first, right?
0: No, I love it. I mean, what I always say to people is like kind of fundamental principles of, of brand building, marketing, whatever you want to call it is first and foremost, know thyself, Right. you know? So in this case, know, know your brand. Second, know your audience, know your customer. And, you know, to that end, you know, test, learn and optimize before you go and, you know, alienate yourself. You know, you, there's. There's a large number of ways to test these days. And I think shotgunning something to your entire list, whatever that list may, may mean, you know, social media, video, event, email, whatever it is, not a good idea if you haven't proved it. Because we see brands left and right today just experiencing the backlash of that, right? They're trying to do the right thing, they're trying to okay. do what they think is the right thing. And then they end up coming off looking like they're virtue signaling or that they're, they're greenwashing or pinkwashing or, or all the other buzzwords we hear as marketers. And I think that can do more damage than it does good in some cases. So I think that a lot of folks start with the right intention, but I think a lot of times, you know, ideas are nothing without execution.
1: Yeah. Another thing that I see, especially in the small business world, is people want to split test because everybody has told them they need to split test. And they're split testing with a too small of a sample size to make any noticeable, you know, any, any correlation that matters, right? Like they, they get 50 visitors a day to their website and they're split testing headlines. Like there's not enough people to make a decision. Yeah.
0: Or, or even worse than that. I mean, we, we do a lot of multivariate testing with, with the larger brands that some of my companies work with. And what I find a lot is that they'll be doing it right, but then they just do too many variables. And it's like, right. well you know, the whole idea of the reason they call it AB testing or multivariate testing is that you want to show what those variants are. Right. And scientifically, just the same thing is you wouldn't want a scientist in a lab that's coming up with a, you know, breakthrough technology to be testing everything, because then how do you know if, was it the color? Was it the word in the button? Was it the picture? Like if you're doing all three at once, there's not enough empirical data to be able to back it up. So I love that you just said that. I couldn't agree with you more, Matt. I think that you know you need to have statistical significance for, for one right that's not the, the amount we, we know as marketers right but then you also have to make sure that you're not testing too many things at once to break the experiment and that i think requires a little bit of patience right which we know today right. nobody's got any damn patience right the tick of of the world right there's
1: there's a problem also with testing that most people don't realize And uh, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but you and I know a lot about it. And a lot of people don't know anything about it. Right. One of the things is, especially when it comes to email marketing or, you know, social media is that you have absolutely no idea what all the other factors in the person's life or the media that they're seeing before they see what you send. Right. So. Like I was able to find a correlation with one of our clients. It was a fairly large list, you know, probably a hundred thousand people. When we send out marketing messages and, and emails and stuff, the sales go down. If there was a major negative news event the same day, and that has nothing to do with what you put in your email. Yep. Right. But if there's like a natural disaster or a school shooting or something, they lose 20% of their sales. You can't do anything about that. It also doesn't mean that your blue button worked better than your red button, right? It just (laughs) means something else happened that's out of your control. So you need to take that into account when you're testing. And you know what a great use of your AI system is? Ask it how to do testing.
0: (laughs) Because it knows, right? Absolutely.
1: So let's talk. uh, I love talking about AI, especially cause you know, I'm just, I'm actually wrapping up my book right now. Will AI take my job, book plug. Um,
0: Can't wait to check it out, Matt. I'm excited about that one for sure. Yeah,
1: I didn't use AI to write my book, but I did use AI in the writing of my book. And those two things are not the same, yep. right? And I think this is where a lot of people get hung up with AI systems is they think, well, If I'm going to use a image generator, like I'm going to use Dolly three, or I'm going to use mid journey or something, there is no way that I can use this because once I create that image, I can't copyright it and it's not my own work and whatever, but there are a thousand other ways that you can use generative AI in concert with other technologies and other work that you do.
0: Yeah. Right. For sure.
1: What do you see when you're talking to people right now? What do you see people asking? Is it all kind of chat GPT they're asking about, or is it kind of just AI in general?
0: Yeah. so I think if I look at this at a very primal human level, I think the the nature of most so just let really me first caveat for the audience. My customers are typically CEOs, venture-backed startup founders and chief marketing officer. So typically these are folks that are very at an executive level. They're, you know, highly motivated, incentivized and measured based on their ability to create success, which in most cases means driving rapid customer acquisition, retention, revenue, and driving the shareholder or stakeholder value of that business forward, right? Whether they're five people in a garage or a fortune 50, and I work with both, it's about how do you drive that enterprise value? Right? So on that note, what they're typically looking at is first automation, right? How do I automate many of my business processes, marketing processes, whatever processes to save time and money, meaning that I can have less humans. Less humans means less SG&A costs and that sort of thing, which means that my profit margins go up and my cost you know, goes down, obviously. So that's the, the, the selfish thing I see a lot. Which is pretty standard, right? We have to understand like what drives capitalism, whether you like it or not. Just understand the rules, know the game right. you're playing is the first rule of business, right? Know the game you're playing. Well, so we,
1: before we go too much further on that, yeah, I actually saw a really good presentation by Paul Roetzer from the Marketing AI Institute, and he said essentially that when when these larger corporations are trying to solve for AI, especially when it comes to like workforce, workforce development, that kind of thing they basically have three options, right? They have the one that you talked about, which is I'm 30% more productive so I can lay off 30% of the productivity staff, right? But there's also I'm 30% more productive so we can take those 30% gains and see if the existing staff can then also create additional, you know, productivity or advancement based on, you know, can we if is there the market share for us to make 30% more widgets than we made before and still make money. Yeah. So you can do that with your existing workforce. The other was, if there is, let's say, a close to unlimited amount of more customers I can get should, because each employee is now 30% more productive, should I hire more employees who will also be more productive? Right? So you can actually decrease, keep it the same or increase your staff, but it's kind of dependent on the, the structure of your product or service offering.
0: Yeah, and I think I, I love a lot of that stuff and spend a lot of time and energy in those kinds of conversations with board of directors and executives and, and think tank style places like you're talking about or institutes, if you will. I think when we think about automation... Automation is not always with the pursuit of cost cutting. In some cases, it's also about how do you drive additional effectiveness? Or in many cases, we know automation is what made many of the modern comforts and luxuries that we are afforded possible, right? Right. No one complains when they order something and they get same day or next day delivery from Amazon, right? So for every person that's out there that's complaining about AI... Typically, people are complaining about AI because it's taking their jobs, but they never complained about it when it took somebody else's job. So that's a very primal kind of selfish, you know, fear versus greed kind of mentality in, in the human experience. But on that note, let's move past automation. Let's talk about augmentation, which I actually think is probably where we're at right now in the AI mm-hmm. landscape is it's much more about augmentation than it is about completely sort of replacing or, or automating um, the need for a human. So when I think about the current state of generative AI, um, obviously we can use generative AI in the most basic construct, you know, pictures, words, videos, you know, many of the other things you mentioned tools like Midjourney and Dolly, which are really great for image creation. So text to image, you know, we're using, we're using text to code now, text to video. There's lots right. of other ways to, to use AI. What I think is really interesting and provocative about AI is the way that we can augment our ability to do things. So as a marketer where I spend in a storyteller, where I spend a lot of my time, our ability to use these base models and by base models i mean the large language models you know this map but the audience mm-hmm. might not so i'll just cover it briefly we've got you know the open ais you know whichever everyone's aware of what that does you know open ai is the company behind DALI and behind ChatGPT and the many other APIs they offer, Whisper for for text transcription, all that sort of thing. They have a suite of different tools. They have a base large language model that we can tap into. We can also build on top of those models with fine tuning um, and really kind of personalized, customized to our own data sets. So I'd say like OpenAI has got this big data set. Facebook's kind of in the game now. So they've been a lot of open source model development. You, know, you got the image-based Models like Stable Diffusion, where they release the the open weights where anybody can just download it. You can do this stuff now on a laptop. You don't need a crazy cloud environment. So I think what's happening now is we're democratizing these technologies, which previously cost millions of dollars to create. And now anyone can use them. And then obviously there's the easy way, which is where you can all go on and get a free ChatGPT account, or you can sign up for Copy AI or WriteSonic or Jasper or the 50 million other ones that do basically the same thing, which is they're going to remove a lot of the complexity for you as a user. They're going to create a couple of like widgets and buttons where they'll interface with these base models and they'll kind of give you the best solution. I know Jasper, you know, promotes the fact that they use multiple models, Claude, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and they give you the best answer, right? And I think why that's relevant for the audience is how you can augment yourself. Like Matt was just saying is I'm sure that typically Matt have, would have to go out and hire a proofreading service. Well, Just using chat gpt4 as an example or claude with their 100k context limit meaning you can dump a bunch more in there in one ask you can be a great proofreader and not need for someone to do that that's typically a task that would be required by a human but now whether it's using a tool like a grammarly or pumping a bunch of content through one of these ais with some smart automation that matt and his team have built i think that's where we can start to augment ourselves but i think what's really powerful for me is when we look at like as marketers we've got our greatest hits when we look at some of our greatest hits, we can train these AIs and these models on those greatest hits so we can create more great hits. And then what that lets us do is experiment and test more. And hopefully you're testing the way that Matt's talking about testing and not the way that that's right. Matt's suggesting you don't. And that's where I get excited. So I think that it's a bit of the wild, wild west, right? We're absolutely running into issues right now with bias, privacy, ethics, security, and then certainly copyright, which you know, again, when you have the New York Times threatening to Sue OpenAI, and you know, word on the street is if they were to win, OpenAI would have to basically flush ChatGPT down the toilet and start over. Right? Pretty scary proposition when you think about the billions of dollars that go into, you know, research labs and investment to to make these things happen. But where I get excited, Matt, and, and hopefully the audience listening here is, if you're not playing with AI right now, you're not super behind, but you're going to be behind really soon. So what I always say is an AI is not coming for your job right now, but someone using AI is. Unequivocally, what I see right now across all my companies is the people who are getting 10x productivity and 10x effectiveness, the people who have the highest quality of life and be able to go home and spend time with their families and not be always connected, they're able to be massively efficient and they're able to be massively effective. And what that means is incorporating smart shortcuts into their workflow. And that's where these AI tools, I think, are really powerful today. We're years away from an AGI or an augmented or artificial general intelligence. I don't see a super intelligence happening, at least for a few more years, if we if we, based it on what the smarter people than us are saying when it comes to this stuff. But what I do see happening right now is I don't believe that any company will start tomorrow that goes on to be successful, that will not heavily rely on various AI tools and workflows to make them a faster, better, smarter company.
1: I think one of the biggest things that's coming that maybe the average kind of information worker, you know, middle class, is almost immediately going to be built in to every tool that you already use, right? So I would argue
0: it already is, just that people aren't aware of it.
1: It, it may not be, people may not be aware of some of it. Some of it's still in beta, but a good example of something already being built in is like, you know, Microsoft Copilot. Yep. right. Where you can use it to help summarize your emails or, you know, do some writing, help you with some spreadsheet variables and formulas. It can write your presentation for you or give you a template, you know, those things, if you start using them and you know how to use them and and where it's effective to use them and where it's not effective to use them, it is an immediate productivity gain. Yep. Right. No question. Yeah. There's no question. I just saw a study that Ethan Mollock was a part of, and he's a professor. I can't remember which university he's at off the top of my head. They did a study where they had a fake company and then they gave a bunch of consultants tasks to do for this company and the people in the study did not know that the company was fake and they gave a bunch of them the ai to use and a bunch of them not as a control group and in some cases some of the consultants were as much as 70 percent more productive with the ai tools
0: there's zero question i mean you can you can look at from harvard to warren there was a recent study where they people were basically saying, okay, ChatGPT is not capable with GPT-4 of coming up with good ideas. It's capable of all these other things, but it, it can't generate ideas. And they actually defunct that. And what they were able to do is they realized that a bunch of, I believe it was Wharton MBAs, got smoked. And the quality of ideas, the volume of ideas, and the speed of ideas was dramatically far increased. Right. And what we can see right now is that the if when you test an AI on a standard IQ test, it's already like, I believe it, I think it's at or exceeded Einstein's level of IQ, right? Which we know is, you know, ridiculous. It's high. Yeah. It's (laughs) really high. But I think what these machines can't do yet is, you know, even with the reasoning engine that's built into some of the really good, you know, like Claude 2 or with GPT-4, it's good, but it's not yet quite as capable as you know the the meat computer between our two ears right? right yeah so i think what we have to look at is like where can we be the most effective and the least effective and where can the ai be the most effective and the least effective and i think that that becomes a bit more of a philosophical debate but i think for me what i always try to do is make things tactical and practical right which is like okay if you're not using any of these tools where's a good place to start well start by just tinkering around with chat gpt it's easy it's accessible it's free to dive into And if you want the latest, greatest of it, sign up, pay the 20 bucks a month. You know, it's, it's worth its weight in gold.
1: I can't Um, believe it's $20 a month. Like I would pay $200 a month to use GPT-4. Like
0: think about the business model though, Matt, right? So I get it,
1: but I'm like, I'm just like, oh my God, $20 a month. And you can have the most powerful AI tool that's ever been invented by humans.
0: (laughs) Right. But if I make it, but if I make it 200 bucks a month, then the number of people that will use it will be far lower, which means that I can't continuously evolve and train my models. And the sheer number of people, you know, ChatGPT was the fastest growing product in in global history, right? Right. You know, reached millions of users faster than any possible viral social network, et cetera. Why that's powerful is like right now, every time you put something in the ChatGPT, whether you're a free user or a paid user, and again, we can debate the different agreements that they have and SLAs and what but. All that stuff is helping to train those models, make them better. And what we see actually over time is GPT-4 is actually, has gotten worse as a result of people using it. And there's a lot of studies on this in terms of like how mathematically it hasn't been able to perform as good and all the different areas it goes down. And a lot of the things that excite me is that they're also getting us hooked on the drug. So one day when yeah, they do make true. it $200 or $2,000 a month, what's going to happen is you and I are going to shell out that cash happily and not even think twice about it. Because we will be so hooked on it, the same way that I'm so hooked on popping my calculator open if I'm you know, in a complex meal and trying to pick up the tab and can't calculate 20-something percent on a, on a tip, right. I pull my calculator out. But I can't remember a day where I have not pulled out and used ChatGPT or Perplexity, which if you're not familiar with Perplexity for the audience, I know Matt, I know you are, but... The you know for the audience here perplexity is basically Google on steroids with generative AI. Google actually has an investment in that company. Mm-hmm. And what I always say to people is, if you're getting back answers from ChatGPT, you damn sure better run that through Perplexity or another thing, and check your footnotes because when because yeah. ChatGPT is basically autocomplete on steroids, right? So Matt's obviously smart enough to not use the research that he put in his book straight out of ChatGPT. That should be like a T-shirt straight out of GPT. That's right. <laughs> um, I
1: actually saw people wearing that shirt. At did you? With- yeah, the Jasper people had that on shirts at the AI convention. Oh, oh that's God.
0: amazing! I didn't see that. That's fantastic. But yeah, so I think it's it's a powerful thing. Again, for anybody that wants to like nerd out on this stuff, I know you know you're posting about it, I'm posting about it, but I think it's really prolific, and I and I hope that answers the question and adds value for your audience.
1: It does, you know. And I was well, I was listening to this day in AI, which is kind of a developer AI podcast, which is also really good, by the way. And you don't have to be like too techy to listen to it. You might, you know, a few things might go over your head if you're not a developer, but for the most part it's it's pretty digestible. But they've been testing with Llama 2. They've essentially hacked Llama 2 to take the guardrails off. And then they have another one where they're trying to put more kind of security in place. Was that and the, the was that the one where they it,
0: it you could ask Llama 2 like about how to commit suicide or something, and it helped you tell. Yeah, tell you how it to do just
1: it. cheerfully tell you whatever. If there's no guardrails on it, it'll just yeah. tell you whatever you want to know,
0: right. right?
1: Regardless of what it is.
0: Yeah. But I saw that like posted more... on like one of those like I think it was Ben's Bites or the Neuron or something. Oh, yeah. yeah, one of them was reading that. I was like, oh man, this is scary. Yeah, the like...
1: Neuron is a really good newsletter, by the way. If you'd like to keep up with AI,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: so, anyways, the more guardrails that are put in place, the worse the responses of the model are to questions completely unrelated to safety. So I think what's happened with GPT-4 is that they've said, okay, we found some other ways that people are like hacking the model or they're doing prompt injection or, you know, whatever it is. And these are safety concerns. So they're putting those restrictions on. And when you put the restrictions on, it makes the model worse at other things. But that said, it is still like far in a way better than almost every other AI at almost everything, with the exception that I think Claude 2 is a better creative writer. I think it's better editor.
0: I agree. Uh, it's also a hell of a oh, lot Lama easier. It's pretty good too. Jump it in there, right? You know, like you yeah. could probably fit your whole, you could probably fit three of your books and in, in one call to Claude 2. But like, you'd have to chunk chunk that down if you're trying to use GPD 4 You know, you, if you're right. if you're not using the API, API to do it. So it's yeah, no, we, clearly we have a lot to nerd out about.
1: Yeah, I think. I think that what you said about augmenting yourself with AI is super important because someone else who does what you do or has the same function in their company as your company or whatever it is, whoever your direct competitor is, if they're using it and they become more productive every month, week, day, whatever amount of time frame you want to look at that they're more productive, they're getting ahead. And the faster they get ahead, the more likely it is to impact you.
0: Amen. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you. I mean, it's, it's also like the way I like to think about it is it's inertia. Right. And it's like this concept I think about a lot, which is like, you know, it's, it's Newton's law, right? Object in motion stays in motion. Think about if you're starting to learn about this stuff. Now, if you're reading some of the things that Matt talked about, if you're checking out the show notes that Matt's going to probably post on this thing, you know, digging into these podcasts and whatnot, you're, you're getting familiar with it. You know, you're tinkering, you're playing around, you know, you maybe don't even have to use it necessarily for for work stuff, you know, one of the things i use chatgpt for a lot is meal planning and meal prep and i use the plugin for instacart to be able to order food and stuff, right? So it's it can be used for a million different things, right? From love poems to, you know, to legal jargon, it's it's powerful. But imagine trying to get going on this 2 years from now. Imagine when you're applying for your next job or you're starting your next company and you find yourself in a situation where everybody's already on these tools, right? It would sort of be like you trying to have a person who's entering the workforce that's never used a computer or a smartphone, you're gonna be significantly behind. So what I think we're trying to say here, folks, is that it's not about like getting wiped out and and ending up on the unemployment line tomorrow. What it's about is understanding that this technology is not going away, right? Some people think, oh, like the crypto crash made crypto go away. Well, crypto is not going away, but you're just hearing about it a whole lot less. AI is not going away and you're going to continue to hear about it because it's permeating its way into every single process, every single platform, and every single aspect of life that we know of. Right? Every single the, every single thing you think of. And I can I can absolutely. get nerdy on that. I can get nerdy on that.
1: Well, it, the, the you yeah. we were mentioning about crypto. Yeah. I hear this the same we'll call it a complaint I get it on LinkedIn a lot. Somebody's going to DM me. They're going to be like, I don't know why you're talking about AI all the time. It's the same as crypto and metaverse crap and blah, 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 and NFTs. And I'm like, this is not in any way the same thing. Nope. This is like, it's more like the industrialization of factories or like the invention of the steam engine. This is AI. AI is the fifth
0: industrial revolution. Make no mistake about it. One thousand percent. If you look at Industry 4.0, which is about cobots and robots and automation, I would argue that already implicitly states AI because you can't have any of those things without machine learning and complex, you right. know, data, which is in fact AI and you know, beyond algorithm. But then when you have like the fifth industrial revolution, it's where I would argue that the true fifth industrial revolution will probably be when we're coexisting with AGIs. But but in plain value, I, I agree with you. It's it's. It is the most prolific technology that we have seen in our lifetimes, and it is the most prolific technology that we will see in our lifetime. And how that technology is then applied and utilized, we're gonna continue to see just groundbreaking things happening every few months. I mean, Matt, you just opened up this conversation by saying, you're gonna do my intro with AI and it's entirely automated, right, afterwards. It's gonna save you time, but more importantly, most people won't even know the difference because you're smart and you know how to use these things. And they're only getting damn better. I would argue my two-year-old son, by the time he's 10 years old, I'd be arguing he can design his entire feature film with his favorite characters in a couple of taps and by talking or thinking or whatever to his particular taste, whatever that is. You know, I think the, the possibilities for entertainment, value, utility for, for humans is going to just completely be traversed. And if you look at the right papers and you, d- you dig into the data like Matt and I have, what you'll find is that the only jobs that are safe from AI for the next decade – are like stonemasons and you know other plumbers and things like that. Every other job that has a knowledge working component to it is 100% being displaced. Not yeah, replaced, until the, not replaced. I want to be clear. Not replaced, right. but displaced.
1: Until the autonomous robots get here.
0: Until the autonomous robots that can do it all get here. I think we're a little far off from that. Some of the things I always love to watch is the, the Boston robotics thing where all the machines are... Right. You know, fucking up, but, but yeah, man, this is, this is great. I hope this is what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, I think, man, we have got some amazing stuff coming down the pipe, whether you're an information worker or you're the CEO of a big company, you need to be able to solve for this. You need to be able to at least start tinkering with AI and discovering what it can do and then looking at what are those redundant, mundane kind of tasks and things that we can. We can use this for to save ourselves time so we can do other stuff that we want to do, right? Or, you know, just work more efficiently. It's up to you what you do with the time you save. So the Forward Obsessed is the podcast, Pete. And if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: I'm Pete Senna on most platforms. I'd say just go to PeteSena.com if you want to kind of find out how to contact me. All the the buttons and the clicks are there. And if you just do a search for Pete Senna, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Medium, et cetera. And yes, I said Twitter and I'll never stop saying Twitter. So screw you, Elon. Right. And I hope to hear from folks. I mean, again, I'm, I'm pretty active on these on these things. I read about this active in my newsletter. It's 100% free. I'm not going to try to sell you anything and would love to like see how we can keep doing cool stuff and making the world a better place.
1: He should have just called it Twitter X. Just <laughs> saying, if you want to change the name to something, just leave the Twitter in it. Just put an X on the bird.
0: I like that. <laughs> it looks right, like we looks like we do you. this, right?
1: That's right. It's like we do this for a living. I appreciate you coming on the show and and sharing your knowledge with us. And man, interesting times we live in these days.
0: Hey, Amen. I'm looking forward to checking out the book. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Remember to tap like, subscribe and follow to never miss a show.